Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And today we're going to continue our series on getting our heart into shape. Our physical heart is an amazing pump that receives and releases uh, our lifeblood. And uh, it, it pumps it to every part of our body. And it's essential that it's kept in good condition. How much more the heart of our inner man, uh, of which it's a picture. You see, our heart is designed to pump the fruit of the Spirit, the life, the wisdom, the healing of God, out from our reborn spirit, if we're born again, into every part of our life. The heart's job is to constantly receive and release the spirit life of God that's already in our spirit to every part. You see, Jesus said, he who believes in me, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. And he spoke this concerning the spirit that those believing in him will receive. And so the Holy Spirit, with all his blessings, lives in our spirit. But in order to reach our souls, our lives, our bodies, he has to flow through our heart. Our heart receives and releases the life of the spirit. Man is spirit, soul, and body. I'm a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. The body contacts the physical world. The soul is the mind, will, and emotions, the personality of man. And, of course, the spirit contacts God. So God works in us from the inside out, spirit, soul, body. He is spirit, he lives in our spirit, and his life flows out through our spirit, through our heart, to our soul and body. We saw that the heart is the deepest part of the soul at the junction of soul and spirit. Hebrews 4 tells us that, that the word of God actually penetrates to the division of soul and spirit and then it says it discerns the thoughts of the heart. And so the heart is the deepest part where the soul connects with the spirit. One analogy we can use is music. See, there's three elements to music. It's triune. There is melody, harmony, and rhythm. And in the music of the Trinity, the Father is the melody. And the Son, who is the image of the Father, he responds in a perfect harmony. And both father and son are bound together in the rhythm of the Holy Spirit. And they've invited us to join their choir. And, but we must sing their song rather than our own song. But we have a part to play in, in the music of life that God is playing. And, and we too, we're made in the image of God as a triune being. Spirit, soul, and body. The spirit produces the melody. Or rather, God produces the melody in our spirit. The melody of love, joy, peace, praise God, healing, wisdom. And the soul is designed to follow the melody to be the harmony, reflecting, enhancing the melody. The heart is the deepest, in, you know, is meant to tune into the melody of the spirit and play it into the soul so that the soul moves with that and expresses that into the physical rhythm of life that we have to live out in the body. The problem is, of course, that the soul wants to sing its own song rather than the song of the spirit. Like a choir member, singing independently from the rest of the choir just creates a noise. 
So our heart must be in, put into good condition to tune in, to hear, to receive the life and the music of the Spirit and then harmoniously release it. With the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. We believe the Spirit life of God into our heart and then we release it into our souls and our bodies by our confession through our corresponding words and actions. And so we must keep our heart in good condition or we will not enjoy the life of God flowing through us. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life, the scripture said. And so how do we guard the heart? In Proverbs 4.20-23 to it's very clear. My son, attend to my word. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Let them be in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them in health, to all their flesh. Get the word of God in your heart. That's how you keep your heart with all diligence. And then out of it will start really flowing the issues of life. And in this series we've been looking at the three blockages all that stop the life of the Spirit flowing through your heart. Last time we saw the first blockage which was unbelief. You know God's word expresses the music of the Spirit but if we're listening to other voices, the voice of the soul, the flesh, the world, other people, our heart will not be tuned into the music of the Spirit and it won't be able to receive and release it. And so unbelief is formed in our heart when our meditation is on other things apart from the Word of God. And that causes our heart to become insensitive to spiritual things. It dulls our ability to receive the life of the Spirit. And so we first of all have to get the Word of God into our heart, which brings faith in our heart, which allows us to start receiving the things of the Spirit. Then we can release them into our lives. But if we don't first receive it into our heart, then our words will not release anything. They will be empty and powerless. You have to first receive it and then release it by speaking words. So let's look at the key passage that Jesus talks about, faith, on how to receive and release the blessings of God. It's in Mark 11, verse 22. Jesus said, have faith in God, literally have the faith of God, or better, the God kind of faith. In the next verse, he describes what someone who has this kind of faith, what they will do. And it's clear from it that this person that has got that faith, will release the answer into his life by speaking words of faith. Mark 11:23 he said, For truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not allow doubt into his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Notice the emphasis is on the saying. That's that you release that blessing in your life. But it's clear you can't release something until you've already received it by faith in your heart. And so this person in verse 23 has already received the answer by faith and now he's speaking it into manifestation. And he's told not to let unbelief back into his heart because that's going to stop the release. But that still leaves the question, doesn't it? How do we get to the place of faith of the man in verse 23 who is able to release the blessing of God through his words of faith? And the answer is in the next verse, verse 24, where Jesus said, therefore, connecting before, therefore, in order to get into position to do this, he says, 
But whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, when you pray, and you shall have them. In other words, we've got to have sufficient confidence in God and his word that we can come to him and believe we receive it when we pray, you see. First, we must ask and receive it spiritually into our hearts in prayer. And then we release it into our life by words. But before you can release it, you have to receive it. So you see, verse 23 and 24 are in reverse order. First, you receive it by faith and then you release it in your life. Well, before you can release it by faith, you must receive it by faith, according to verse 24. But, before you can even receive it by faith, you must comply with the next verses. So, he even goes back, he says, before you can release it, you've got to receive it. But before you can even receive it by faith, there's something else that you have to make sure of, Otherwise, this whole thing isn't going to work. And that's in verse 25 and 26. And he's talking about forgiveness. And this brings us on to the next major blockage to your faith working and receiving from God and the life of God flowing through you, and that is unforgiveness in the heart. Let us look at verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, he says, he's still talking about praying to God. He says, don't think your prayer of faith is going to work unless you deal with the unforgiveness in your heart. He says, if you've anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your sins. In other words, there's going to be a blockage between you and God unless you forgive that person. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your sins. It's very clear. This agrees with the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? Where our forgiveness is linked to how we forgive others. Matthew 6.12 says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Just as God forgives us completely, so we should forgive others. And so the second blockage is unforgiveness. Jesus added these verses here because he knew that if we had bitterness in our heart, it would paralyze our heart, making it unable to believe we receive God's blessings in prayer. And so if you don't forgive, you can forget about being able to do verse 24 and receive that blessing from God. You see, it's not just unbelief in your heart towards God's word that puts your heart out of sync with God, but also, it's less obvious, that unforgiveness towards our fellow man will also block the life of God flowing through you. You know, you might think, as long as I love God, it doesn't really matter that I've got uh, this unresolved thing with that person, but that's a deception. It does matter. If we don't walk in forgiveness, we can't walk receive from God and enjoy the flow of his blessings in our life. It will impede our heart from functioning in the spirit life of God. Yes, if we are failing to receive from God, we better check our heart that that blockage of unforgiveness is not there. Jesus takes this sin especially seriously. It puts you out of fellowship and your sins are not forgiven by your heavenly Father. As a result, your sins start to pile up on your soul as unforgiven and they block the flow of God and your heart becomes dysfunctional. We've got to learn to walk in automatic forgiveness. You know, it, it actually helps to do this to realize how much we have to be forgiven continually. And then we realize it's not appropriate to walk in unforgiveness towards others as if we were perfect. 
Look at Jesus. He was perfect, but he still forgave us perfect, fully. How much more should we forgive when we've been forgiven of so much? You know, some people will think, well, I will forgive that person, but only when they grovel at my feet and beg for my forgiveness and admit that they were completely wrong and I was completely right. But no, that's not going to happen. You're going to be waiting a long time for that to happen. You need to actually forgive them anyway. Refuse to punish them. Put them in the hands of God. And vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You know, Jesus forgave those people that were persecuting him. He prayed, Father, forgive them. Even while they were still sinning against him. So we need to forgive unconditionally. You know, forgiveness isn't denial or minimization, pretending it was okay, that it wasn't a big deal. No, it's looking at it and seeing it as it was. It was a sin. It was bad. But I forgive you anyway in the name of Jesus because I've been forgiven of so much. It's a gift. They don't deserve it, no. But neither did we forgive God's Neither did we deserve God's forgiveness, did we? Well, Jesus' teaching is very strong. and We're going to go now to Matthew 18 and just see how strong it is in the story of the unforgiving servant. In verse 21, it says, that talks about Peter saying to Jesus, how often do I have to forgive someone? Uh, up to seven times if he sins against me? And Jesus said, I don't say seven times. Peter probably thought, phew. I thought seven was a bit too much. But then he said, but 70 times seven. Wow. Then verse 23, Jesus told the parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. This represents God. Who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now this is equivalent to about 20 million pounds today. But he was not able to pay, not surprisingly. This was an unpayable debt. And this is like the debt that we owe God. We could never pay our sin debt off to God. And so the master commanded he be sold, and his wife, his children, all he had, and payment be made. You know, this is a picture of us. Our sins are likened in the Bible to financial debts. When we sin against someone, we owe them that debt. And justice requires us to f pay that in full. Our sin debt to God, though, is so massive, we can never repay it which would mean an everlasting punishment unless someone else was willing to pay that debt. Who would be that, that nice to us? Well, Jesus was. He paid our sin debt in full. He forgave us in full. Well, that's what's pictured in the parable now in verse 26. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. What a wonderful thing. How God, in his mercy, forgave us that unpay unpayable debt that we owed him. All our sins. But now the story, that was amazing, to be forgiven of that money. But the story now takes a, tw a shocking twist in the next verse, verse 28. But that same servant, who had been shown so much mercy, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now this wasn't peanuts. I mean, this was... Um, maybe a thousand pounds or more. It was a significant debt. Um, and, but he, nothing like what he had been forgiven, millions of pounds. When, guess what he did? He laid his hands on him, took him by the throat, 
saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I'll pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, this is a significant debt, as I said, but, ne but he had been forgiven of thousands times more than this, this amount. And of course, we are all shocked, aren't we, at his refusal to forgive a few hundred pounds after being forgiven of how much? How small-minded, how mean, how unmerciful. It's almost as if he'd forgotten how much he had been forgiven by the king. But you know, that's just like us. When we refuse to forgive someone who owes us just a small sin debt after God's forgiven us so much. Let's see in the next verse, 31, he gets his comeuppance. So when his fellow servants saw what had, what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant. He, he, God is very upset when we don't forgive. Because we have been forgiven so much. He says, I forgave all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity with you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers till he should pay all that was due him. The debt that he was forgiven of was now back on his shoulders. And then Jesus made this shocking application in case we hadn't quite got the point yet. In verse 35, So my heavenly Father will also do to you. Yes, you who have been forgiven by God. If each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The meaning's clear. If believers who've been forgiven of a massive, unpayable debt by the king do not forgive others, then God will not forgive them. And their sins will start piling up in their soul. And it will stop the answers of their prayers. It will block the blessings of God in their life. And they'll go into prison, into debtor's prison. They'll suffer under the torturers. I think this speaks of demonic oppression starting coming into their mind all kind of mental problems as well, and physical problems, no doubt. Why? Because they're, they're, they're coming into Satan's territory now, and they come out from God's blessing. That's why Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. You see, when someone sins against you and hurts you, it, you it's natural to feel some kind of initial anger. But, that, but don't cause that to, for you to respond in a sinful way. Be angry, but do not sin. Moreover, don't let it fester, but forgive quickly before bitterness takes root in you and it starts to poison your life, your spiritual life. He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Forgive the same day. In other words, don't take it into the next day. Do it for your own sake, for your spiritual life, because otherwise you're going to open the door to Satan. Don't give place to the devil because he will start coming in. You'll give him the right to kill, steal, and destroy in your life. The wonderful verse is Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 on this issue. Pursue peace, it says, with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord working in your life. Verse 15, looking carefully. This is what you've got to watch out for in your, for your heart. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, 
and by this many become defiled. You see, your heart is like a garden. We are gardeners responsible for what grows in our heart, and our life depends what we allow in our heart. Yes, people will answer to God for how they treat us, but we will answer for how we've responded to what they've done. You see, if they sow bad seeds in our garden, God will deal with them. But if we let those bad seeds fester and grow into bad attitudes, God will deal with us. And this verse reveals how bitterness will grow if we let it take root. If once we realize it, we're going to see that we can take quick action. The longer we wait, the harder it is to remove that unbeliever, that unforgiveness, the more damage is done. Deal with it quickly while it is just a little thing. Verse 15 describes the process. It says that the root, be careful that a root of bitterness springing up. Let me describe that. See, first of all, there's a little seed that gets planted in your heart, a little seed of unforgiveness. But if you don't remove it, it will start putting down roots and it will become rooted in your heart. It will be a settled attitude. It will be a root of bitterness. And that will start to cause you to start falling short of the grace of God. Now, the roots go down. And then you start to have a fixed negative attitude and feeling towards them. Now you're believing the worst of them. You look for them to be punished and to fail. They can't do anything right. You hope they'll fail. You want to punish them in your heart. You form a bitter root judgment in your heart. Now, if you don't deal with it, it will continue to grow. For a time... It'll be underground. Nobody will see it. It will be where you think you can control it. But soon it's going to spring up. It says springing up. It's going to grow above ground. It's going to show up openly in your life. It says springing up. It will cause trouble. It will cause you to be troubled. When that person's name's mentioned, there'll be a scowl on your face. You can't hide it anymore. You can't control it anymore. The negative thoughts about that person will start waking you up at night, disturbing your peace when you want to do something else. It will start controlling your life. It will affect your mood, your reactions. It doesn't overwhelm you all at once. It happens bit by bit. First of all, you enjoy it, nursing and rehearsing those thoughts and those feelings of superiority over that person and imagining bad things happening to them. (laughs) But as it grows, it has a life of its own. It springs up and it starts to trouble, harass, annoy you, paralyzing your life, your spiritual life. Now it's showing. Now people can start to see the bad attitude that's on you. And it starts demanding more of your thought life, takes up your attention, saps the life out of you. You can't relax because you're consumed by the bitterness. And then eventually it comes to the final stage. It says, and thereby many be defiled. You see, this is where it grows into a big tree in your garden. And this is where you pass on your bitterness to other people because you start bearing fruit now and you start speaking about your bitterness and your offense to other people. And they start eating of that bitter fruit and now they become defiled by your bitterness. Now they take offense from your offense and you're spreading that, bat, that evil around you through your words. Your bitter fruit is your evil, critical gossiping, hurtful, scornful, wounding words. And when somebody mentions that person, there's an avalanche of criticism comes out your mouth. You're always running them down. Your one-sided version is aimed to destroy their reputation. And uh, after that satisfaction of running them down, you're locked up even in a 
in a worse prison of bitterness closing in on you. No, the only way out is forgiveness. It's easy to deal with it early on when it's just a seed. But if you let it grow into a bitter root, into a tree, then you're going to have to get really serious to uproot that bitterness from your heart and make sure you forgive that person completely. Otherwise, that thing is going to destroy your life. You have to decide, no, I'm going to walk in love and I'm going to forgive as Jesus has forgiven me. Are you allowing those resentful fruits uh, and plants and trees to take up all the room of your heart and sour your attitudes in life? Don't let that happen. Don't let unforgiveness take root in you because the longer you let that go on, the harder it will be to remove. How hard is it to take a tree out of your garden? You're going to have to make a serious commitment to do that. Otherwise, it will destroy. It will take up all the, your heart. You see, there will be no room for you to bear the fruit of the Spirit because your heart is taken up by this other stuff. You won't be able to receive from God and you'll be tuned into Satan's frequency because you'll be in pride. You see, you're acting as if you don't need forgiveness. You're acting, there's a deception that you're the righteous one, you're the superior one. But the truth is, you need great forgiveness of 20 million pounds. That should keep you humble enough not to rise up in pride against someone who just owes you a few pounds. That's why Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. He forgave your sins completely, so you should forgive others. I want you to pray right now. And, and that person that you have got a bitter root judgment against, I want you to think of that person right now and pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, Thank you for loving and forgiving all my sins so freely through your Son, Jesus Christ. Freely I've received, so now freely I give forgiveness. I confess my sin of bitterness and unforgiveness. Please forgive me. And now I forgive, and name that person now, I forgive them from the bottom of my heart. I release them, Lord, into your loving hands. I let them go, and I pray for them, for their blessing and forgiveness. I speak to you, speak tree of bitterness. I hate you. I don't want you in my life anymore. I, I command you now to be removed from my heart because I have decided to forgive. Get out of my heart, and Lord, cleanse me from all unforgiveness. In Jesus' name.